You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Welcome church this morning. If you are a visitor here this morning, I am the guest speaker. Um, I've only been hanging around this place for 22 years, and I occasionally get to be the guest speaker. I think it's awesome, awesome other people are finding their voice in preaching, not just voice, but anointing. Uh, and it's not down to one person. It used to be where I, uh, I had to preach like 90% of the weekends out of a year. Um, and I hate to tell you, I'm not here again next weekend. I'm preaching at Port Macquarie Church there. has gone through some testing and stuff like that and asked me to come up and just help them out a little bit next weekend. So Janet and I will be there. While you guys are out in the sun swimming away, we're just kind of troubleshooting and you know how all that stuff is. So, yeah, somebody's got to do it. Somebody gets a big bucks for it. So, yeah, it's, a fr- it's the first time I've seen you since, what, four weeks? We've been in Indonesia, Northwest last week. We had a great time training pastors and leaders, doing a marriage seminar for couples, um, and, uh, and doing four church services. Two Sundays ago, though, Pete, who did the offering, it was awesome. At the third church service, I just said, you know, I, you know I'm kind of starting out at 4 o'clock in the morning, getting up, getting everything ready, doing an early service, then going to another service and doing it. How about you do the third service? And he did, and he preached. And the rat bag got four people making decisions for Christ. How's that? Like he's, he's, um, he's showing me up. How good is that? Not only that, there were, uh, there were about four people tangibly, physically healed in that meeting as uh, the team prayed over them, but it was great to have Pete and Fiona with us, and uh, the Indonesians couldn't get over it. How come both of you have the same name? All of you, all four of you, you're Edwards, um, and uh, I said, that's because there's an S on the end of our name, you know. Uh, they can't say Edwards, because to them, that means there's more than one of you, um, and so they, I always get Edward, and I said, no, there's Edwards now, there's four of us, so, but we had a great time. It was awesome. Thanks for praying for us. But we heard you had some cracker services. And pastors Simeon and Nate preached up a storm, opened this up, this series up. I, I did preach this last week, believe it or not. Not this one, but the, the, uh, you know, last week's message. I was just at the other campus, and uh, we had a tremendous time there. And uh, as we close out the series about the church being home and together, about being inclusive, invested, involved, you know, it's important that we remind ourselves the context in which the Apostle Peter is speaking about. The Apostle Peter made, and here's the context, one of the greatest confessions when Jesus said, who do you say I am? There's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff out there about me. Can I just say something? Don't worry about what people say about you out there. If you worry about that, it'll drive you crazy. You can hear all kinds of stuff about you out there. I've heard stuff about me that I didn't even know. It was amazing. Who do you say I am? And you can imagine Peter, you know, he's all a gusto. He's got, boom, here's Peter. He steps forward. You're the Christ. You're the man. You're the son of the living God. In verses 17 and 18 of Matthew chapter 16, records an emphatic response by Jesus. When he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you, you know, when Jesus says something like that, you just get ready. I tell you that you're Peter. Now, that might seem insignificant to you, but for him, all of his life, he's been known as Simon, the one that needs to be heard. The name Simon means heard. And he says, but I'm telling you, you're Peter. You're a rock. And I'll build my church on you. And people like you. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. 
And when Jesus makes this declaration, you need to know that, number one, he was intentional about building his church. The only thing Jesus ever said, I will build, was the church of Jesus Christ. He didn't even say, I'll build my kingdom. Jesus didn't come to build a kingdom. The kingdom already existed. He came to advance it. He said, it's my dad's kingdom and I'm going for it, but I came here to build my church. And you need to know something. While the church is highly relational, it's more than than an organic connection. You just pick up a number of modern day books and they talk about the organic nature of the church and all kind of stuff like that. Listen, it was something that he was purposeful in putting together stone by living stone. And it's been going since that day and it will go until the next day when he comes again. And puts his foot on planet earth. So he's, he's kind of intentional in saying, I'm going to do this thing. But secondly, he was resolute in using ordinary people in building his church. People like Simon, the fisherman. Who always had to be heard. Jesus said, no, from here on out, you're going to be called Peter, a rock. I love what Blomberg says in his commentary about this. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, since you can tell me who I am, I will tell you who you are. The moment we confess Jesus as the Christ and as our Lord and Savior, he goes, I've got a new future for you. No matter what we've been called in the past, Jesus speaks into our future and he declares over you, he declares over me that we are just the kind of people he's looking for and he believes in to build his house on planet earth. He's intentional about this thing. But number three, Jesus' declaration here, I'm going to build my church. It's like he's saying, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to overcome it. Jesus was intentional when it came to building his church. We're talking about being intentional today. This wasn't something that just haphazardly happened as a byproduct of Jesus on the planet. He came from day one saying, I'm bringing this new thing to the planet and it will be here until the planet ends and it will be triumphant. I will build my church. Now, Peter knows this. He remembers this. It's like all of a sudden his memory, as he's writing to the churches of Asia Minor, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Colossae, he's writing to all these Christians. They're under the pump. They're going through a trying time. And he would have heard the words of Jesus ringing in his memory. So he says to them through his first letter and his second letter, come on, guys, we can do this. Hang in there. Don't give up. With all the strength and the emotion he could build, he goes, I know what it's like to give up. I denied him three times, and I came back stronger than ever. You know what? I remember Kevin telling me, he remembers back, I don't know how many years ago, standing up. I don't even remember preaching it, Kevin, but he said, I stood up one Sunday and said, God is the God of second chances. And it doesn't matter what we've done. There is a comeback day. He is the God of second chances. He will use us again, no matter what we've done. And, uh, and you see redemption stories in this all over again. And Peter knows this. There are people who are starting to give up. There are people who are starting to fade. There are people who are wilting under this. So he writes one Peter with this in mind. So going to 1 Peter chapter 5 as he's talking to the church about being intentional. And we're going to start at verse 5. Can I just pause for a second? You know, with all this electronic stuff, I'm going to sound like an old guy now. With all this electronic stuff, it's all great. It makes things easy. I mean, I love the fact I've got this set of about, I don't know, it's 10 or 12 volumes of every Greek word that's used in the New Testament. And I used to have to go through hundreds of pages to find one definition that I could bring on a Sunday. I now just click a button, and takes me there. How good is that? Now, it means I'm not wasting time, but it also means I can get lazy. And with all this electronic stuff, 
we, we, we could be in danger. I'm not saying we have. We could be in danger of holding a real Bible in our hands. I still love... I don't care whether it's a Bible or a book. I don't read electronic books. I just love a book in my hand. I write in my books. I write in my Bible. Um, and stuff like that. Don't worry, it's not new revelation that I write. Anyway, I'll leave that to the cults. Anyway, um, we used to read the Word and we used to stand. We're people of the book, unashamedly. To us, this book is the final say in faith and practice. It's the rock on which we stand. It brings faith, it brings life. It looses things that nothing else can loose. It's a word of grace. And I just think, some, you know, it's okay. But, you know, I remember a day, one of my best friends in America, we are on a wrestling team together, first fraternity in high school. I got born again. And he said, I was just saying if that was a gimmick with Keith. You know, a new high, new fad. He said, it became real to me one day when I saw him in the, in the uh, what did we used to call it? Not the mess room. Anyway, it's where everybody used to eat. A thousand students would eat together at once. No, it wasn't cafeteria. It was far different than that. It, I mean, it was big. Hold a th- it's bigger than this room. Hold a thousand people sitting down at tables. I'm sitting by myself. Why I was by myself, I don't, well, you might know, but I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I'll get free from that later. Anyway, I was sitting there. He, Scott says, I saw Keith sitting over there by himself. Right next to his plate was his Bible in this secular high school that was so anti-Christian. And he said, all of a sudden, before he took one bite of his meal, he did something I thought he would never do. After he read a scripture, he bowed his head and he prayed with all of these people watching him. I had no idea anybody. I could care less whether they were watching. I, didn't, I wasn't doing it to show off. I did it because I, I, I had come to know Jesus Christ. So that's a bit of a sidetrack, but I do want to do something. Whether you've got your paper Bible with you or not, I'll let you use the digital one today. i got my analog, as Simo calls it. Why don't you stand your feet while we read a couple of verses. In honor of the Word of God, Jesus said it's the rock, the foundation that we build on. Heaven and earth will pass away, but he said his word is here forever. And I can tell you, you know, it's not just a song that says, you know, I'm not going to focus on what I can see. I'm going to focus on what I believe. Well, where do I get what I believe? Right here. Right here. So here's what Peter says in verses 5 to 7. And he's talking to a church under the, under the pump. Cast yourselves, no, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, Peter says that about two times, and James says it once. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety or your cares upon him, because he cares for you. God, we thank you for this word. It is a word of faith. It's the rock that we build our lives on. And it matters not what anybody else says or any opinion on the planet or any other ideas. This word changes lives and has been and will be until you come again. God, we love your word. So just feed us right now. Enrich us, but also loose us to be greater as we encounter you through this word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Have a seat. You know, in our journey together as the church of Jesus Christ, it's imperative that we position ourselves for promotion. Now, that sounds strange, doesn't it? But we do it the kingdom way. God's not against promotion. He's not real happy with self-promotion. 
But God's not against promotion. And if you started reading at the beginning of chapter 5, you'd see that Peter is addressing the leaders of the church. Hey, guys, you're going to have to lead the church as your under-shepherds of Jesus, and you do it like Jesus would do it. You lead and you love the people like Jesus. But then he turns his, his, his kind of magnifying glass onto young leaders. Oh, God loved the young leaders. I love the young leaders. The energy they bring, the excitement they bring, you know, the, the passion they bring, and they go for it, and that's all good. But he turns his attention, and he says, hey, listen. You keep respecting and following the elders. They're not there just because they're old. They're there because they've gained something through the years. And you respect them. And today people are losing respect. Can I say something respectfully? Don't ever let your little kids walk up and call me by first name. I won't respond to it. I won't slap them. If they were a red-headed stepchild, you better believe I'd, sta- I'd slap them. But listen, I just think that's just, it's just not on. You can call me old-fashioned if you want to. It's not an issue of title. It's an issue of respect. I don't even care if they call me Uncle Keith to make it family. But a little five-year-old walking up and going, Keith, I'm going, whoa. Are you, refer- you talking to your five-year-old? Tell Keith, come on. Where's the respect for the age and the wisdom and the hard yards? Now, I, I'm, I'm not preaching an old man's message. Because the deal is this, when you're young or young in the faith and ambitious, it's easy to confuse zeal with self-promotion. Oh, we've all been there. Don't run ahead of God. Listen to what His Word says. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. I can promise you this, God will promote you. I'm going to make you another promise. But if you promote yourself, you just stopped him from promoting you. And it's something sometimes when we're younger, we tend to do and we get ambitious and we're going to go for it. We call it my church, my ministry, my preaching. Something's in danger there. Because it's not about self-exaltation. You see, the world encourages us to climb the ladder, even at the expense of others. I don't know, I don't like the movie, but I did watch it once, and the message in there is just, it kind of hits you in the face. The devil wears Prada. That's a chick flick. I only, I only watch it because Janet made me. <laughs> don't say, well done, Janet. That was a man that said that. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jim, I should have known it was you. About this young girl who was just ambitious to become, you know, the PA to this woman. And she realized while climbing the ladder over the back of others that it cost her more than what she wanted to pay in the end. So she finally quit, got smart and quit. You know, Jesus said himself, and I like the way a new version puts it in Matthew 20, 27. And whoever has a desire to be first among you, let him take the lowest place. Wow. It's not about the highest salary and it's not about the biggest title and it's not about the best car and the right office and all that stuff when it comes to the kingdom of God. Because positioning ourselves cannot be about self-promotion. It's got to be about our attitude. We need an attitude check. Because in many ways, the church is, is, is so different to other organizations. And, and you could even be seen as being shy, backwards, or uh, lack of confidence or whatever because you're not promoting yourself. Well, God knows better. You're not doing it out of fear. You're doing it out of respect. And you know that if you promote yourself, then God withdraws. 
It doesn't matter whether you're in the church or not. But you promote yourself and God goes, my hand's not on that. Because to be promoted in the kingdom of God, it, just, it needs this revolutionary attitude. Really revolutionary. One that's so radically different because intentionality is not just an act of the will. It is a state of the heart. What's my heart saying? What do I really want? I, I can kind of remember back we were, um, we were up visiting Jono and family in North Queensland. We didn't tell the pastor of the church we were there because I just didn't want to get asked to preach that day. Honestly, I thought, I need a Sunday off. And so I don't know whose fault it was. I'll, I could blame Janet. I could blame whoever, you know, always being late. We joke about, you know, have you ever seen the, I think it's the uh, Sealy's or something like that commercial on television? The guy and his wife are going out somewhere and he's standing at the door ready to go and she walks out and looks in the mirror and, oh, I think I'll go change the dress. And he goes, I think I'll fix the door. And she comes out and she's doing something else. She goes, oh, I think I'll go change my earrings or something like that. And he goes, I think I'll paint the door. So when Janet comes out and we're, we're getting close to the mark, I'll go, I think I'll fix this. I think I'll paint that kind of thing. Anyway, we were late. We walked in, John O family and kids, and we were, we're I, it's, I hate being late. One thing I know, we'll never be late. And it's a second coming and don't dare be late. You'll miss it. Okay. So we walked in and they're giving this, um, they're giving this update of global, uh, you know, the global kind of movement and how it's doing around the globe. Now we remember we had to make one. We had to make a video of what was happening in Southeast Asia. We were leading uh, Southeast Asia for C3 at that time. And I remember walking in, I might have had one of my grandkids in my arm or something like that. And we walked in and the guy that was on stage hosting, he looks at the screen. We were on the screen. And he looked at the screen and he looked at us and he looked at the screen and he went, they're here. <laughs> Sounds funny. But it started triggering something in me that was wrong. Yes, I'm here. Yes, it's me. Yes, I'm the man. That's why when I did my sabbatical, I laid everything down and I said, God, I don't want to take up anything again like that that's going to do that in me again. It did something wrong. That's not what I went in ministry for and that's not what I'm staying in ministry for. It's not about what green room I get in. It's not about who I get to travel with. It's not about am I appearing on screens in church. Nothing wrong with being the leaders of that. What was wrong was in my heart. And God said, we're going to have to deal with this. Because in verse 5, Paul, uh, Peter says this, Clothe yourselves with humility. There's your attitude. Have humility towards one another. Verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You see, in God's house, we're never going to be up until we learn to be under. In the kingdom. And it takes humility. And the kind of humility that's quick to honor others. Hmm. You're never going to have a vision until you serve a vision. You're never going to be successful in a ministry until you applaud somebody else's success. And serve their success. Because Paul said in Romans 12.10, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This is radical. This is just not how we're brought up. Be the best. 
I don't know about you, but the country that I grew up in, be the best. That was probably the, the words we heard the most from everywhere we went. Be the best. What happens when you're not? What happens when somebody is? And if we're going to see the church become everything Jesus meant it to be and be attractive, to be this place where the hurting find healing, where the weak find strength, where those who are alienated and cast out find a home, then it happens when we are intentionally inclusive, investing, and involved. That's when it happens, and our attitude has got to be there. So just, just chill out. Rest in the fact that He cares about your welfare. He's not trying to demote you. He doesn't care about others over you. God is not a respecter of persons. He's not saying, well, I like him more than him. I'm going to let him preach more than her. Well, that's not the way it is in God's house. More than anyone else, he knows how valuable you are to his church. Every last one of you. But he can't use you as long as you promote yourself. Because it's about you, not him. And it's not about others. And being intentional about God's house is far more than an activity. It's about an attitude of humility. And that's what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. And God exalted him at the right time. He humbled himself and became a, a servant, even to the point of death. But God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name. And before we can go up, we've got to come under. Before we can lead, we've got to serve. And it's got to happen intentionally. That just doesn't happen. It happens when we choose. So Peter goes on, verse 8. Here's how you're going to be intentional, by being self-controlled. I find it really weird that God calls self-control the fruit of the Spirit. Don't you find that weird? Like, hang on a minute. The word self is in there, not spirit. How's that work? Because you're in partnership with the Spirit. You can't really do this because it means, this is what Jesus meant when he said, unless you're willing to carry a cross daily, you can't really be like me as a disciple. That's what he meant because self will rise up and go, I'm the best. All it takes is somebody to come pat you on the back. And we should encourage each other. There's a difference between encouragement and, and pumping somebody's ego up. You know how you do that? I don't go, oh, Christina, you are the best host in the house. You are so awesome. I wish everybody else was like you. I just put down every other host. But I can go to her and say, you did such an awesome job today, Christina. It was awesome, full of passion and pumped up, and I love it, and the zeal. But I'm not going to do that at the expense of our other hosts. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Don't be afraid of him. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is not just an ancient verse. It's more true today than it was back then. Statistics show that more Christians are being persecuted and martyred today than ever in the history of Christianity. And Peter is writing to that. And of all things, we, we can see that happening around the world. But he says, and the God of all grace. Isn't that good? God doesn't give up on it. He brings his power through his grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. So in the journey, together as the church, being intentional, it's also imperative that we position ourselves for winning. 
because the final is secured. It's important you know this, because winning in the kingdom of God is not about who has the highest result or score. Who has the most? Who's winning the day? The one, listen, the one who prevails, the one who is there at the end still standing is the one who wins. And that happens intentionally because that's what it means to be self-controlled. Again, Peterson said it this way, keep a cool head, stay alert, the devil's poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. The church is in danger when it's asleep. That's why in Revelation he says to the church, wake up, oh sleeper. Isn't that amazing? See, getting this winning posture is about adjusting our focus. Stay alert, not afraid. You are never told to fear the enemy. You're never even told to respect him. You're just told, stay alert and resist him. Because we've got an enemy who is hell-bent on destroying us. And let's be honest, it appears at times like he's ahead on the scoreboard. I don't know if you've ever played competitive sport and you've been behind. The coach usually will call you in and he'll say this, don't look at the scoreboard. Get your eyes off the scoreboard. You look at that score and you go, how can we ever catch up to that? And you could look at what the enemy's doing around the world going, how can we ever compete with that? We don't have to compete. We stand firm because the day is coming. This is the deal. The worst thing we could do is just give up and give in. We have to get our eyes off the scoreboard, which means off of our circumstances and the things that are going on around us, and we've got to remain focused. We stay alert by being intentional about the things God has entrusted to us, and the things he's entrusted is building his house and advancing his kingdom on this planet. That's it. And those two things will remain. They will never cease. Now, here's the deal. Think about this for a minute. If the enemy knows that he is going to lose, and you better believe he knows it, not because he's omniscient and knows everything, it just, he, he so happens, has a copy of this. And he probably reads it more than most of us. And he can quote it. And he knows. It says at the end, you're going in a pit, never to come out again. So I'm going to take as many people with me as I can. I'm going to shut as many church doors as I can. I want to deceive and blind as many people as I can. I am intentional about this. I know the final score. I know I lose, but I'm taking as many down with me as I can. Now, if he's that intentional, how much more should we be? I'm just saying. Jesus is intentional. The devil's intentional. We ought to be intentional, but in the right kind of way. But here's the question. Who's more deliberate in your world right now? You or the enemy? Ooh, good thought. Keep your focus, but don't just keep your focus, strengthen your stance. Stand firm. Don't give up. Don't give in. The Word of God says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Remember, here's the context. The church is under the gun. Times were tough. And to be honest with you, it's easy to surrender when it's tough. So many people do. They give up. They wave the white flag. I quit. I give up. It's so easy to think, you know, if I resist, and here's a, here's a thought that goes through your head at times, my head at times, if I resist, it's only going to get worse. I've actually heard people say that. Listen, it's going to be a bigger kickback if I resist. I didn't understand marriage was going to be this hard, staying with the same person for so long. I didn't know my job was going to be so trying. Maybe it's time to change. Man, I thought, now here's it, here's... Here's the beautiful one. Man, I thought being a Christian was supposed to be a blessed life. 
rosy. No one told me it was going to be like this. And some people are surprised when the pressure comes on them. Are they being attacked? Are they being belittled? Janet's dad told us about a man. Janet's dad worked in management for mobile oil for nearly 40 years. And he said there was a man in his office. I don't know, 20 decades he worked there. Every day he would come to work. The guys in the office knowing he was a Christian. Hey, Jim, come over here. Boom. They, they, as he's walking over, boom, they'd open up pornography, the worst kind of pornography. And then they'd laugh at him. Ha, ha, ha. Day after day after day, they taunted that man's faith. And he'd be easy in times like this going, God, what are you doing? I'm trying to be a witness for you here. I thought you were supposed to bless me. And people get like that. They had a misunderstanding about being a follower of Christ. They thought everything is smooth sailing for life. We hear this message about the blessed life. Yeah, God wants to bless you, but that's not what he's talking about, removing you from everything on planet Earth that's going to bite you. I hate to break it to you, but this is part of the deal. Buckle in. It's a wild ride. And there are bumper cars ready to crash into you every turn. We're not exempt from this just because we're God's children. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust, just alike. Good Christians die. Good Christians get sick. Good Christians suffer. And it's easy to go, oh, it's because somebody made a mistake, somebody sinned. Hey, get off it. That's what the people tried to say when Jesus healed a blind man. Who sinned, this man or the blind man? Listen. New Testament writers make it clear we're going to face opposition, but they also promised that we have authority to resist the enemy, and we are promised that God himself will restore and strengthen us when that happens. So here's the deal. I love, I love the, the phrase that Peter uses. He's going to restore and strengthen. In the New Bible commentary, it's great. It says this, restore describes ships being repaired after a battle or a storm. God says, man, I know you're going through a storm. I know it's a battle. I know you got holes in the hole from the shelling that's going on. But hang in there because I'm going to repair that. But I'm not just going to repair it so you can stay afloat. I'm going to repair it so you can engage in battle again and be even stronger. And he says, strengthen you. Strong is, is used primarily of physical objects that, that just say they're fixed into place in a position. They're not going to be destroyed. And no matter what we face and what we go through, God himself will make us fit for action and strong in the day. We don't have to ask God for this. Listen, you know, oh God, please rescue me. I got news for you. He already has. Don't ask for what you already got. Um, he's promised to give it to you. He didn't command you to go looking for it. He just said, you need to claim it and declare it. According to my word. And the best thing we can do at times like this is just stand. It says this in the amplified version, verse nine, withstand him, the devil, be firm in faith. In other words, against his onset, you, you be rooted, established, strong, immovable. Watch this word, determined, which is another word for intentional. Why? Plant your feet, square your shoulders, face the enemy and tell him he has no authority over you. Be intentional. You can be sure that your enemy's intentional. You be intentional. He wants to stop you building God's house and advancing his kingdom. He wants this city to go to hell, to be destroyed. And he's going to put all kinds of pressure on us to give up.
just throw in the towel, quit. And as long as you are standing, you are a threat to his kingdom. The moment you go to the bench, sit on the sidelines, you're no threat whatsoever. Because he knows you're an asset for the kingdom of God. And it's time to take our eyes off of what is, uns- what is seen and focus on what is unseen. Hey, look, that, that song we put up earlier, I want to put up verse 1, 2 in the bridge for you. I want you to realize what we're singing. You got it, Richard? Thanks. My eyes above what it looks like. Hey, we've got this stuff right in front of us. It's pressuring and pounding on us and firing ammo at our hull of a ship. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. Get your eyes up here. He says, I will only see all you promise me, my eyes above what it looks like. I want what you want. I want your kingdom. Come on, lift your eyes. Verse 2 says, my faith beyond what it feels like. All the way to you. Hey, we don't live by feelings. Feelings betray us. Are they real? Absolutely. And they're wonderful at times and they're horrible at other times, but they do not determine where we go and what we do. My faith is beyond what it feels like all the way to you, all the way to breakthrough. My faith beyond what it feels like, not by my power or might, but by your spirit. Something changing in the spirit. Now, if you read that, go to that one, Richard. I don't know how you put that in there. Thanks. Change it. Something changing in the spirit. You notice, I I noticed this when I was looking at the song. You misspelled it. I, I mean, I looked at their original lyrics. You misspelled it. Something changing in the spirit should be a capital S. Then all of a sudden it dawned on me. They're not talking about the Holy Spirit. Nothing changes in the Holy Spirit. They're talking about our spirit. Something changing in my spirit, your spirit, because he is here. Heaven has come down. Something is changing in me. Something is breaking. I can feel it. Heaven come upon this right now in Jesus' name. Come on, won't you stand to your feet for a minute? Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.